With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, the Mercury News' Warriors beat writer. During our conversation, we looked at what Golden State needs to do this offseason to build a contender. Wes, thank you so much for being back on the podcast. Um, you know, you've become a regular guest at this point. I always love picking your brain about the Warriors. Uh, as, as I think our listeners know at this point, uh, we're, we're good friends, so we talk pretty much every day anyway. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of our conversations when we're just hanging out end up being about the Warriors because I guess we have no life. But uh, there, there's a lot to get into. Uh, the Warriors season officially ended last week because the Warriors were not invited to Orlando, um, which was no big surprise to anyone who's been following along. So uh, I know we've been spending time looking at what's facing them this offseason. I, I would make the argument that this is probably the most important offseason that Bob Myers has had since becoming GM of the Warriors in 2012. Would you agree with that? No question. Um, I've been saying this for months, that this is the most pivotal offseason of Bob Myers' tenure as general manager slash president of basketball operations. It's there's so much at stake here, and you could argue, you could argue that hey, you go and go get Kevin Durant a few years ago, you you put together these championship rosters, you make a lot of these big moves, but that was sort of that was more reactionary to Kevin Durant kind of just being down to join the Warriors. This there's there's so much more prep ahead of this thing. There's so much more at stake ahead of this thing because now we really know what Steph Curry's championship window is going to be. It's going to be for the next three or four years just based on history and now guys tend to age and the Warriors would tell you the same thing. And so understanding that you want to maximize each and every single season and you lose this last season uh, as far as being a contender. And I think they had planned for that, but you have to basically make the moves now in what's going to be a really weird year uh, in order to put yourself back into contention. And that's a big challenge for Bob Myers and not necessarily one that he's ever had to deal with. He's built championship teams, obviously, in the past, but teams that kind of grew together and, and developed together. Now it's a lot more of just sort of um, adding pieces to already championship core. Um, and that's not something that he's necessarily had to do right now as far as rebuilding a championship team. To me, um, next season in some ways is kind of a make or break year um, because I think a lot of people are assuming, oh, they got a, a healthy step back, a healthy clay back. Um, they're going to be contenders, right? Um, I think it's going to be a lot harder than that. You know, the way the West is shaping up right now, it's absolutely loaded at the top with the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, Nuggets are coming up. There's so many good teams in the top of that Western Conference. Um, there are absolutely no guarantees that the Warriors are going to be able to vault back into that conversation. And if they can't do it next season, then I think the Warriors really have to st- take a step back and evaluate 
okay, what what do we do here? Because the window is closing, you know, Steph, Clay, and Draymond are all in their early 30s. Steph's now 32 years old. And even though I think he's a guy who can play deep into his 30s, you know, he is a human being. And then age is going to take its toll at some point. And so then you start to ask critical questions. Let's say, let's say they finish in the bottom half of the playoff picture next year, which I think is possible. You know, I think they could finish sixth, seventh, something like that. Uh, then do you just swing for the fences? Do you, you know, mortgage your future? Do you do you really start shopping guys like Draymond and Clay? You know, I think that all that stuff would have to be on the table. Um, but, you know, barring something crazy this offseason, like a, like a bid for Giannis, I think they're going to try to do it a more traditional route this offseason and hope that that'll be enough. And then if it's not, then the tough questions come. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting thing there with Clay Thompson because he's going to be back from that ACL tear. But before he did that, before he tore that ACL in the finals, um, he thought he was playing the best basketball of his career, and it, that showed. I, I think he was right about that. And um, when Steph is back, you now you have a top five player to lead this team. How good can Clay Thompson be as your number two? That's the real question because he hasn't had to do that for a really long time. Um, and I think he's better. He's clearly better now than he was in 2015, 2016, before Kevin Durant got there. Um, but can he be good enough to have that Steph and Clay partnership rival what the two Los Angeles teams have? That, to me, is a big question yeah. because Draymond Green's best days are behind him. He is now an emotional leader. He's the heartbeat of the team, blah, 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 cliche, cliche, cliche. But he's an important part of the team. But he's not a double-digit scorer. He can't shoot threes. Um, he's still a great defensive player, but not at that defensive player of the year level that he was. And so you need Clay now to elevate his game uh, to get a little bit closer to probably something like a top 15 player, top 13 player, where I don't think he's there yet considering when you, when you kind of look at the, the depth of the NBA right now. The, the problem with Clay is that he's not great at creating his own shot. I mean, he, he's yeah. obviously a guy who is one of the greatest catch-and-shoot players of all time. He's great at what he does. but you know, to me, he was a good number two option. He is the one, maybe the greatest number three option in the NBA history, which is a big reason why those teams with Durant were so lethal. Because when you had both Steph and Durant on the court, Clay was free to run off uh, pick and roll, was free to run off screens and, and find open jumpers, and it was a lot harder to, to send double teams his way and that sort of thing. And um, you know, I'm not convinced that in the modern NBA, that in today's NBA, that a team that is relying so heavily offensively on Steph and Clay and then maybe doesn't have that, you know, elite number three, four option, can can they really contend for a title? Now, Andrew Wiggins is a guy who I think is going to be able to come in next season and average a good 17, 18 a game. So he's He's, you know, not a bad number three option at all, um, but, uh, you know, he's no Kevin Durant. <laughs> right, and that's the big – when you talk about team needs right now for this summer, the loss of Kevin Durant, I know we're a year after it, but it still has – there's still a huge hole to fill on this team, and it doesn't get filled by Andrew Wiggins, and it doesn't get filled by Clay Thompson taking another leap um, if he does. Like, that is – in his last season – but the Warriors, I mean, he was he was shooting, you know, 19, 20 times per game, scoring 27 points per game. That efficiency is so hard to replace. That's why he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. They're not going to replace that efficiency. What they 
what they can try to replace is the shot creation, basically. I mean, how many times did Kevin Durant bail out that offense over the years? That was the that was the ultimate utility of Kevin Durant, right? It was just that when it when push comes to shove, he could bail out the offense. Now Steve Kerr's offense has to be even more ball on a string, has to have even more ball movement, has to just make shots even easier than it ever has. And that was always the strength of it, but it has to be better. And so when you look at what the Warriors need, they need smart, high basketball IQ players who can create open shots for Steph and Clay, right? Because if Clay's not going to create his own shot, then somebody else does. Same goes for Steph Curry, because uh, they still like to use him off the ball a lot. And they're also going to need some just pure points productivity. They're going to need that somewhere too. So when you look at players that they could acquire, I think they they either need to be a uh, high volume scorer, or not. I shouldn't say high volume scorer, but a high efficiency scorer within a within some sort of role, or guys who and and or guys who can move the ball at a really high level, like we saw Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston, Kevin Durant, Andrew Bogan, all these guys do. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's kind of – you kind of lead into what I wanted to talk about here, which is I wanted to get in specifically into what the Warriors' biggest needs are and then get at what the best path to filling those needs is. Because I know we, we've written recently about the trade exception and the draft and all these different things. Um, what route would be best to fill each of these needs we're going to talk about? So, uh, you, how how would you boil down what you just said into a couple words in, in terms of what that hole they need to fill is? They need two wings who can move the ball like Andre Iguodala did, but score the ball better than Andre Iguodala did. Right. They definitely need to uh, improve their wing depth. I am. As much as I like Damian Lee, I am not convinced that he can be playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs for a contender. Um, I'm not convinced that, you know, several of these guys who were kind of feel-good stories this year can really be relied on in in those types of situations. Even a guy like Eric Paschal, um, you know, you saw him in, in, you know, there weren't really high-stakes moments this season, but you saw him in kind of bigger moments this season and struggle um, when he had defenses zeroing in on him. And I'm not sure he'd be able to handle that type of those types of stakes. Um, so, you know, those are good guys to have on a roster, but do you want to be re- leaning on them when it matters? And uh, I personally don't feel comfortable with that. And so I would, yeah, I agree with you. I think they need to add two wings. I think one of them, it's, I think one of them could be a little bit more defensive oriented and uh, a guy more kind of like Andre who uh, is more defensive oriented and can run the floor and um, is kind of a sound bet. Um, a guy that I like is Rudy Gay. Um, I, he's older, but I think he could come in and kind of help fill that role in certain ways. And he can score as well. You know, he's not, he's not going to be an elite scorer at this point in his career, but he can help out. Um, and he's a guy I think they could get straight up for the, trade exception i think that uh san antonio would be open to that given where they're at in their rebuilding mode um and so no, I, I like i like the rudy gay fit i've been looking at him for a long time the good thing about rudy gay is as he's gotten old that he's 33 now but he's really transitioned to like a small ball four he's kind of found his role he's so much of what harrison barnes was for the warriors for san antonio right now and so you can easily slot him in. And if you're not sold on Andrew Wiggins being a small ball four, I think he could play that in today's game. The Warriors, I think, think the same thing. But if you're not sold on that, 
then you bring in Rudy Gay, who could play the four for you, and now all of a sudden you, you bring him off the bench and you can go into a uh, a closing lineup of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Rudy Gay, Draymond Green at center. That makes a lot of sense. And like I said, Rudy Gay has experience playing that position. Like That would not be the worst way to spend the traded player exception, although I don't think it would be their option A, right? That's I don't probably think it's option, option A, but I, of everything yeah. I've looked at, I think it might be the most realistic. Um, yeah. And I think the other guy that you need to go after is you need – I do think they need more of a scoring punch off the bench. Um, I think they need someone who can come in, attack the rim, almost like a better version of what Alex Burks provided last season. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's just going to get you a bucket. Um, you know, that that's – even before, before they signed Durant, they, that was something they struggled with at times was – you know, when whatever, for whatever reason the defense was giving them trouble and their offense wasn't flowing the way they wanted to, they didn't have a lot of guys who could just go get them a bucket. And that was really, to me, Durant's biggest value was he could just put the team on his back and go will them through those stretches. And uh, that's been a really hard thing to, to fill. Now, you're not going to go out and get a Kevin Durant caliber guy to do that, but I do think there are guys that they could go after who are capable of that. Guys like... Eric Bledsoe, um, Dennis Schroeder. Um, you know, I, I I think I'm higher on Dennis Schroeder than you are, Evan you Fournier. Are. Um, yeah. You know, those are guys that kind of fit the mold of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm not sold on Bledsoe or Fournier as guys who can just go get you a bucket even at Alec Burke's level. Um, Fournier is kind of streaky. Bledsoe, all right, he's good in the regular season, but he always disappears in the playoffs, and that's not what the Warriors are looking for. Um, Schroeder is fine. Uh, he could definitely go get, but the problem I have with just like typically backup point guards is that there's so there's so much of a negative defensively that they're so rarely worth it. And Shooter is sort of that, um, especially if you kind of I, I I have questions about playing him alongside Steph and uh, Andrew Wiggins and you know whoever they would draft in the top five here. But look, it wouldn't be the worst use of your traded player exception. I just think that with with that TPE. You need to find somebody. I would be going after somebody more like the Rudy Gay or like a Ricky Rubio or a wing that could basically play alongside all of those guys and then go try to – because I agree with you. They do need a scoring punch. They need somebody to come off the bench and go get a bucket. I think there's other ways to do that. Maybe it's with your maybe it's with the top draft pick. Maybe it's with the mid-level exception. You're getting a more limited player, but you're not spending so much on that limited player. Uh, so it's a little bit more of a, of a value. Um, One thing that's really interesting about this offseason, and it's going to make things, I think, more difficult for Bob, is that uh, the way, because of the coronavirus shutdown and the way the NBA schedule is shaking out, um, there's less time between major events. So, like, the the draft, I think, is October 15th now, and then free agency starts, like, three days later, mm-hmm. um, which, you know – is kind of an interesting situation. The good thing is that they have seven weeks between finding out their draft pick and having to make it. So I think that what draft pick they get could really dictate, you know, what how they prioritize things going forward in terms of, you know, who are they going to try to get with that TPE? You know, what how what route are they going to take to get that, that high-scoring guard off the bench? Um, I think that if they got the number one pick, um, they could take Anthony Edwards and try to try to make him that guy. I think yeah. I think Anthony Edwards could come in. It wouldn't be, you know, there would be warts, there would be things to work through. He'd be a rookie, but 
I do think he could come in from day one as a rookie and be your sixth, seventh man off the bench and average in the team. I do think he's capable of doing that. Especially within Golden State. Like, if you if you have him cutting to the basket and getting to the rim the way that that that's the, what he does best and you, you're able to let him do that more playing alongside Steph and Clay on a spaced floor. I mean, it would be very reminiscent of what the Warriors are hoping they get out of Andrew Wiggins. Um, I think if you end up – look, I, I think you've got the traded player exception and you've got the top five pick to fill those two wing spots. At least if I were Bob Myers, that's how I would be approaching it. Let me go get a guy who's between 27 and 30 years old with the, with the TPE who can be a wing – uh, who I can I know I can rely on in a playoff setting. And let's go get a guy in the top five who does project as a role-playing scorer who could who could score in the teens and maybe for, and down the line could develop into something more than that. Um, that's the way you would check those boxes, I think. With the MLE, you just go fill another need. But um, if they if they opt to even use that, uh, if I'm in the top five, I think you can. If you are picking in the by the way, yeah. And so you're going to use so. But with that pick, if you get a guy like Anthony Edwards or you know my guy, Tyrese Halliburton, in the top five, boom, you've got a guy who can handle the ball, can do stuff with the ball in his hands and is comfortable with the ball in his hands and can score at a high level um, within a role and shoot the ball. Both project to shoot the ball well um, coming off ball screens and stuff like that. So that that checks a lot of those boxes, and they both have upside too. So you do that, and then you go use the TP and the MLE and the free agency. I'm getting more and more convinced that they get, that they need to keep the top five pick. Um, I think that even though this is considered a weak draft, that they can find real value in that top five. Um, and I think that they're becoming more and more convinced of that as well. Yeah, when people say it's a weak draft, all they mean is that it's hard to find. Like, there are going to be good players in it. It's just hard to find. It's harder to find those good players. They There's not some like out there. There's no Zion. There's no LeBron. There's no Luka. There are, yeah, it, it, could be, there, there could be a player from this draft who has that type of career. I mean, it's possible. And one thing I'm, I'm, one thing I'm convinced of too with the Warriors, and I said this on my podcast too, but their draft board is going to look very different, I think, than a lot of draft boards. Um, what who they have at the top of theirs is going to look different. So when they, if depending on where this pick falls, let's say they end up at four or five, okay, who they select may seem like a reach to a lot of other people. But for them, they've been working on this draft since December, assuming that to be picking at the top of this thing. Um, I think they're really convinced in the work that they've put in. They're comfortable with it. I think they're falling in love with a few, a handful of players, and I think they're going to go get those players. And they're not going to worry about, you know, if James Wiseman is still on the board, if who they pick is considered a reach. I don't think they're worried about that. I think they know exactly the roles that they want to fill because the Warriors are a formulaic team. We saw that when they – it was proven out when they moved D'Angelo for Andrew Wiggins. They took a lesser player in a vacuum for a player who fits a role within the formula that they've established as a championship formula. That Now, with Wiggins in there, they still need – they still have two more wing positions to fill if you're adhering to this formula, which I think they do because I talk to people in the Warriors, and they still you, – you know this too. They still talk about the Iguodala role and the Livingston role that they don't have. They talk right. about that because they want to fill those roles. Okay, they're the not great, talking the about it out of nostalgia. Halliburton is he can be a point guard and a wing. Um, exactly. He's he's very good off the ball, um, but he's also defensively a great he can leader. he could guard he can guard one through three defensively, so you could play him next to Steph and Clay, no problem. I think he would be a home run. Addition. Yeah, I, I I honestly would not be surprised at all if the Warriors get the number two, number three pick in the draft, and they take Halliburton. And I think yeah. if that happened, a lot of people would think that was a reach, but I I wouldn't at all. 
Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense, and I think he he almost it'd be like killing two birds with one stone. You know, he fills multiple needs, and I think he could come in day one and play, you know, 25 to 28 minutes a night. You know, I think he I think he's that ready for the league. You know, he, man, he made man. very few mistakes at Iowa State. Like he his efficiency numbers were incredible. I know he didn't average a ton of points, but he took good shots which is really big to me. Uh, and he, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Turnover numbers are low. Um, you know, he's, he's percentages a sound all-around player. His shooting percentages are high. He, he shows so much effort defensively. He's not one of these coulda, woulda, shoulda guys. He's maybe the most productive. He is the most productive player who's in the top five, considered like in the top of this draft. And one thing that we know about the Warriors, they draft Eric Paschal and Jordan Poole because they were productive in college. They like to see productivity, and granted, that's like at the end of the draft, in the end of first round, second, early second round picks. But like, they, I still think they have that philosophy where they want to see some sort of productivity. Um, let's get specific here. Let's say the Warriors with their top five pick pick Halliburton. Let's pencil him in. Okay, so now you got him as your backup point guard, guy who could play in a you know quote unquote death Which lineup. Was gonna, I was gonna be one of my big. Um holes that they need is they need a true backup point guard. I don't know. We disagree strongly. Get it done. Pat Bowman's not going to get it done. They need someone they can really rely on as, as a, as a true backup point guard. Um, we, we, we disagree Albert on that. We disagree on that. We, uh, we disagree on that. Okay. Um, I, I think it depends on who that backup point guard is, but they can't go the traditional point guard route. Like you can't go get, you can't go and, and sign, a veteran point guard who's like six one or six two and is a liability on defense. They can't afford that. But if you get a guy like Halliburton who is not a liability on defense, they need a very specific version of that. And that, look, they've always gone with backup point guard at committee. With like I just, they need someone who can initiate the offense and yes, actually that's true. read its defense. You know, um, you, Draymond has has that in his game, and he'll obviously do that from time to time. But um, I, think I think that was one big thing that they lost with Andre was. Andre yeah. was really good at that, and Andre was really helpful in that way. And, um, you know, Sean Livingston was that. To me, Halliburton in some ways is like a better version of, of Livingston. Now, Livingston's career could have gone different direction and, and been even better than it was had he not had the injury. Um, but given what his career ended up being, I honestly think that uh, Halliburton has a lot of the strengths that Livingston has, but you know, since he hasn't had any sort of injury like that, I think he even has a higher ceiling. And he's not—he's not like a super athlete the way that an Anthony Edwards is or James right. Wiseman is. But yeah, Livingston never was, even before the injury. No, but like as far as just ceiling with with Halliburton, uh, I I'm I think when we talk about ceiling, we just talk about like size and physique and athleticism and like vertical leap and all these things a, a little too much. Um, cause I'm looking at, okay, do you have basketball feel? Are you a scorer? Can you go get a bucket? Do you have this, like, what, what do you have that is unique to, to, um, you know, top all-star players in the league? And the thing that Halliburton has is his ability to score in between in the mid range. He's got great footwork. He's got a nice floater. He seems comfortable just going and getting a bucket. He's a guy who can create his own shot and did often at Iowa state. And that is right. a really hard thing to find. I look for that more than, are you six seven, two hundred and twenty pounds, and can run a fast, you know, forty times? Like I'm, I'm looking more right. for for that sort of stuff, and he more than anybody in the top five displays that more often and more consistently. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. 
another thing the Warriors need is they need another center. Now, is that going to be their starting center? Is that just going to be a guy on the rotation? Um, as we know, they this, they do center by committee, so I don't think that's really that important. But going into next season right now, they have Marquise Chris, who we're, we're both high on and we think can be the starting center for this team. Um, and Kevon Looney, who at this point is still very much a question mark. You know, hopefully that surgery he had last month um, ends up helping and he can really turn his career around, but there are no guarantees. So he's a question mark. So you need at least one more center uh, in there to, A, be insurance for if Kevon ends up not being helpful at all, and B, just because you need guys to eat up minutes. Um. I think you can probably use the MLE to go get that center or, or, or maybe a free agent minimum contract, but um, I think that they'll I, be able, I, I think they'll, they would be able to get a helpful rotation center on the minimum. Um, the Warriors have been good at that historically. Um, that tends to be a position that is not super valued in the NBA right now. So there tend to be decent guys who, you know, end up falling to that minimum level. Um, so I think they'd be able to do that. Um, I do think that their first priority with the MLE, which is looking at around six million dollars right now, um, should be going and going after a guy like Serge Ibaka or Marcus Sewell. Or I'll throw Paul Millsap in there too. He would be a home run for them. Um yeah. one of one of those three guys, they should call each and every single one of them. Like, listen, we're we're capped out. Our the most money we can offer you is the mid level exception. If you join us, you will be a key, you will be one of our top two centers. You will have a chance to start over Marquise Chris. It'll be an open competition in training camp and preseason. And we we believe that we're going to chase the championship this year, and you're going to be a big part of it. And that's the sales pitch. And believe, they're going to pitch that, right? They have to. It's it's they would have to do that. Marcus Hall would be a home run for this team. So, um, and these are all guys that have made a lot of money in their careers. They're all yeah. in their mid thirties. And so I, I think that it it would be a really uh, a really logical situation to come in, and even if they need to take a little bit of pay cut, you know, I think these are all guys who might get offered. I don't think they're going to get offered crazy money. Um, I think they could get offered definitely more than the mid level, but you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to be willing to take you know a few million dollars less when they've already made well over 150 million dollars in their careers. Uh, and, and with the salary cap declining, right, that's going to max out some of their earning power, right? Because now, you know, with, with the less salary cap, teams can't spend as much. So now instead of maybe Marcus Ball, go, let, I'm just going to I'm going to throw a number out there, whatever. It, whatever team was going to offer him $12 million, I guess can't offer him $12 million. So now they can only offer him, let's call it $8 million. Well, now that's so much closer to what the Warriors can spend in a mid-level exception that Marcus Ball would be giving up less money to join the Warriors, you know, versus right. the other way around. So now, that kind of helps the Warriors. Four. You think he can play the five? Millsap? Yeah. Yeah, I think he can play the five. He has. I think you can no, have him. Look, I, I, so is Draymond. I, but they both, yeah. like, you could put, both, like, Paul Millsap can actually shoot, you know? And I think you could play both of them at the four and five just interchangeably. It would be really, really interesting. Um, now, I would have him, I would have him, like, clearly third behind in this order, Marcus Hall and Serge Ibaka. And then there's a gap, and then there's Paul Millsap. But I think you could do a lot worse with the mid-level exception than Paul Millsap. You would have Gasol over Serge. No doubt, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, would his, too. I think Gasol I mean, fits exactly what they need. I think yeah. he is 
a guy that they've eyed for years. I think he um, he would be perfect as that kind of offensive fulcrum. You know, he can post up on the low block and kick out to open shooters and read defenses and, and also knock down the open three. He shot over 40% from three this past season. Um, and he's a really smart, savvy player. To me, he would be a better version of what David West was for them in some ways. Yeah, and then you can you compare him to a guy like Ibaka. There's a reason why Toronto made that trade midseason for Gasol is because Ibaka's good. You know, he's this you know he's this three and B player, right? Uh, three pointers and block shots, but he's limited. He can't pass the ball really for anything. He's not good at it. He can't attack closeouts. He's he's a limited player. He he can shoot threes and he could stand by the rim, and he's tall and he's good. And he would be a really great addition on the mid-level exception, but he's not Marcus Ball. All these things you're talking about, just like the, the basketball IQ, the basketball feel, just the the ability to play in crunch time, like that's what the Warriors are looking for is who can we trust in the final five minutes of a, of a playoff series? Marcus Ball is that. Um, I, one other thing I wanted to point out with the traded player exception, um, this is a really unique uh, – and Bob Myers talked about this on Monday on our conference call with him, but – um, you know, whether or not they would use the full traded player exception. Um, and he said they'd have to look at the economics of it. One thing that I'm pretty sure is, is on Bob Meyer's mind, because we've seen this with the D'Angelo Russell acquisition, the sign-in trade there, is that if you have an opportunity to create a large cap slot on the roster, you have to take full advantage of it. And the Warriors are never going to have a traded player exception the size of this one at $17 million probably ever again. It is so rare to have a trade exception of this size. And there are ways to even maximize that where you use the TPE on a James Johnson for $16 million and then combine his salary and a Kevon Looney salary just hypothetically to go after, to go get a player at like $21, $22, 23000000 million, something like that. Either way, they need to maximize that cap slot, not only to go get a player who could be helpful for a team during their championship window, but maybe also a player who, like D'Angelo Russell, you just get the salary to fill that spot, now you have that spot, and then maybe you flip that player down the road. So whoever they get with this TPE might not be there by the trade deadline. You know, they could always use that. They, I think more – we don't talk about the TPE enough in that way, where what is really, valued about, what is really valuable, valuable about it is maintaining that large cap slot. And if you're going to go and get a guy like Rudy Gay at $14 million, who's 33 years old, who's basically just going to be a one-year filler. Um, maybe he re-signs with something, you know, smaller money later, but now you lose that cap slot. That might not be the best way to use that resource. And I think that's something that the Warriors need to be thinking about. One thing that I'm uh, realizing just looking at the roster and, you know, everything they need to do to upgrade it and all of the different options they have is that, um, you know, I honestly think that all these guys that are on the back end of the roster right now, you know, who kind of, who were feel-good stories this season, made the team, and, and some of them did pretty well. You know, guys like uh, M- Michael Mulder, Kai Bowman, uh, Juan Descona-Anderson, I am really starting to think none of them are going to make the team next season or even really have a legitimate shot to make it unless they're two-way guys. Um, because when you're talking about contending for a title, every roster spot really matters. And you need to be confident that, uh, that these guys can play meaningful minutes when it matters most. And I even look at a guy like Damian Lee, who, you know, was, was a, was a bit of a revelation last season. Um, you know, 
really carved out his niche in the NBA. But I look at him and I'm thinking, this guy's not guaranteed next season. Uh, they could cut him and it would cost them nothing. Given all the avenues they have to add talent, do you is his is his roster spot in peril? I don't think it is um, because you know what you're getting with them, and there's a lot of value in that when you're talking about spots, you know, 12 through 15. Is like, all right, we don't we're not worried. Like if, if Steve Kerr puts Damian Lee in, you know he's going to hit open jumpers, he's going to move the ball, he's going to play within the flow of the offense, and he's going to try his hardest defensively. I think Damian Lee's pretty safe, especially at the value of his contract and just his locker room presence too. But yeah, I, but, there is but, a factor. I mean, I think that he sure. deserves to be on the team next season, regardless of any sort of family association. But the guy know, I'm worried about, if we're talking about locker room dynamics, he is a, yeah. very close with Steph, and Steph would not be happy if something happened to Damian. Um, and you know, that's something that I'm not saying that that would be the the decision making, you know, the final part of their decision-making when it comes to that, but I do think it's something that they need to factor in. Locker room presence matters, and the Warriors have proven that over and over and over again. The one guy I would be worried about who we're not talking about as far as maybe not making the team enough is Smiley Geach. Um He really was did not look good toward the end of the yeah. season, and I think that there's definitely upside there. You and I have written about it. We believe that the Warriors believe that too. But he's really, really raw. And if you're trying to maximize this championship window, I don't know that you can afford a roster spot on somebody who is, who's, who's, who they expect to develop into a rotation player after this championship window is closed. That's in the, the truth, ideal right? world, he'd be on a two-way contract um, right now because you know right. the way two-way contracts work. Once the season ends, they have the rights to retain him, so they could, they wouldn't be at, at risk of you know him getting poached by someone if they still believe in his upside. Um, but he's yeah, they he's, can, they he's can still not do a that. guy that should be eating up a 15-man roster spot right now. No, and I think we need to throw – so you had that group of Mulder, Bowman, Toscano Anderson. I put Smiley Geach in that group. All those four guys are going to be duking it out for one of these final roster spots. Two of them will end up on two-way contracts. That's probably what's going to happen. I think it's Smiley Geach guaranteed next season. Yeah, but you could still release them and, make them, and put them on your two-way. Right. I mean, I, no, but you're losing money, to your point. Like, it's maybe – you know, you, or maybe you just trade him to somebody else who has a, you know, trade him to Atlanta. I think, who I, think, like, I think they're going to give him this season, and this season is going to be very important for him because he, if he doesn't show something this season, um, they're they're probably not going to keep him because he's he's guaranteed through next season, and then they can cut bait. Um, and you know, everyone said that he was going to be at least a three year project, but that doesn't mean that you can take three years to show that you're an NBA player. You have to you have to make progress and prove you know every year you're you're fighting for your roster spot so he needs to he needs to he needs to show that he's maybe two years away as opposed to five years away because there were times this past season where he looked just like like if I was out there like if he just threw me out there he looked as overwhelmed as I would feel you know, it was bad. Uh, I, there was a specific moment where he got the ball at half court and he just looked like he had never seen a basketball before. And that, that image haunts me to this day. It's just like, this is not okay. Um, one more, I want to, I want to tell you one more team need that I've been thinking about. Um, and it's sort of in regards to what we're talking about. And then, but after that, I do want to ask you what your ideal, like sort of quote unquote dream off season for the Warriors would be like with specific players in what slots. But, um, the one other thing I think they do need is that Matt Barnes guy at 
at the end of the bench who would be like totally cool, um, you know, ring chasing, good locker room presence who could come in, you know, a few like a few times per year and just do something important. Um, it wouldn't shock me if you're using one of these, a couple of these roster spots on guys like young guys like Pascal and Poole, maybe Smiley Geach, Bowman, Mulder, whatever, that maybe guy number 15 is that Matt Barnes type who is, you know, 30 something years old, has seen a lot of stuff and just wants to come and make a positive impact on the locker room and just play a little bit here and there and just would be cool with that. But overall is like most of his impact is behind closed doors. Would not shock me if they had that sort of, um, you know, savvy vet elder statesman type. And I think they need that. Yeah. And, you know, one guy that they could get on the minimum probably um, is Glenn Robinson third, who we've talked about. Um, and, you know, he wouldn't be like a 15th guy. I mean, I think he could be a legitimate, you know, ninth guy. Um, you know, he, he was, he was downright good for the Warriors before he got traded and um, I think he fits their ethos. I think, you know, there's there's a mutual respect there. Um, and I think he's a guy who also might be willing to take less, even though he hasn't made a ton of money in his career. You know, if let's say he's offered a little bit over the minimum by another team, he would probably be willing to just take, you know, maybe a million less and go to the Warriors. Can I, I hate giving away my content because we talk about this on Locked on Warriors all the time, but I'm gonna, we're friends. Um, <laughs> hey, I give away my content to you all the time. <laughs> True. Uh, how about Andre Roberson? At first, it sounds like a nightmare because he's uh, maybe the worst offensive player in the league. There's um, so many question all, marks there. There's so many injury concerns. So we'd have to like two and a half years. Yeah, but he would have to. So you have you would have to check out medically. So caveat, that's the caveat. As long as he checks out medically, he seems like a guy who you can get at the minimum who would have a very specific utility that could be really important in the playoff setting. When Before he got I hurt. I think you get him at a minimum. People I think really could value with all of, but if So I think you could just because he's, there's so many question marks with him injury-wise yeah. and, you know, because he can't play offense. But, like, if you could get him for the minimum if you're the Warriors, that would make a lot of sense to me in sort of a break-in-case-of-emergency type option. Like, he probably wouldn't get, like, regular minutes. But in a playoff game, in a playoff series against the Lakers and the Clippers, when you've got to guard multiple top-end wings and stuff like that, or even the Rockets, if you have a guy like Andre Roberson to throw out there, I mean, look, you look at who the Warriors' wing defenders are right now, and it's Clay Thompson, and it's end of list. Like, Wiggins projects as a wing defender, they're hoping, but we haven't seen it consistently. So if he's not there consistently, especially in a playoff setting, that's a really big need for this team. And if you can get a lockdown wing defender like Roberson at the minimum, or even the mid-level exception, if you want to use that on him, if, you know, Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka. There's too no, many I wouldn't. questions. Well, you, you, would use, you would use part of it. You would never use the full 5 or $6 million of it. But if you had to go a little bit over the minimum, you could do that. But um, I, I think that you could, you could do a lot worse than Roberson. And if, if you just needed him in crunch time, you could throw him out there and know that he would do a really good job defensively on some of these top wings that they're going to be going against. Assuming he's physically able to move around. I mean, Correct. that's a huge that's a huge if right now. I mean, it's the guy who whose entire defense is predicated on his lateral quickness, ability to change speeds, guard multiple positions, um, and that's not a guarantee given his no. his health history. Um, but, hey, you know, I, I see what you're saying there. They do need that kind of lockdown guy, and I think they could 
you know, set up the, the rotation in such a way where he's in high-scoring lineups and they don't need him to be an offensive factor. Um, yeah, and, and he could, you know, focus on the James Hardens of the world. That that would be very helpful, especially if you can get him cheaply. Um, you, were, you asked me earlier to kind of give my – Best case scenario offseason. I think offseason. I think this is a good way to uh, to end this. Uh, I the the caveat here is that if something crazy happens and, they, and Giannis becomes available, they have to. In my opinion, they got to go all in. Yes, even that, if that means giving up Clay Thompson, I think you got to go all in on Giannis or something or, or a player near that stratosphere. That's probably not going to happen. I think. When you're t- when you're talking about realistic scenarios that can happen, I can think- I just say I feel like I feel like you're baiting me here, and your listeners don't want to hear me talk about Giannis, so I'm going to avoid this. <laughs> oh man, I, I I'm just trying to get uh, listens, man. And any, anytime you talk about Giannis, my my numbers go up. So, uh, uh, but yeah, every time, as far as realistic scenarios, I think a very good off season for the Warriors would be, of course, they land the number one pick in the draft. Draft Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards can come in, be their sixth man. Uh, you know, I think he's capable of averaging 13, 14 points, being a solid defender because he's not going to have to be the number one off- offensive option. Um, you know, be kind of a, a three and D type type guy um, who can slash to the basket and, and do all those things. I think um, he he checks multiple things off that list for them. So. They do that, and then they use uh, – I think they should just use the trade-to-player exception straight up and get a guy like Rudy Gay. Um, I think that that makes more sense than the, all, all the different options we've talked about in terms of packaging it. Um, and then if if they can, try to get Marcus Soul on the, on the mid-level, which I think is possible, um, and I think that would be a bit of a coup. Um, and then, you know, round out the roster with – um, a couple guys on minimums. Um, I think, like we said, Glenn Robinson third would be a really helpful piece on a minimum. Uh, maybe even Andre Robertson, like you talked about. Um, and then I think if you pair all those guys with Steph, Clay, Wiggins, um, every, everyone else they have, um, Draymond, that that is a team that at least has a chance to be a contender. I'm not guaranteeing they will be, but I think they have a good chance. It's really deep, right? And so maybe you don't have the top two of the Clippers or the Lakers, but you're certainly deeper than those two teams. Um, yeah. And I think that would set them apart. That would make them, you know, one of the top four teams in the West. I, I don't think that there's any doubt. Uh, I love that. Look, I, I, like I said, I think you can get an Anthony Edwards where you would be a home run, but for the sake of being different. So let's you, say, yeah, let's say they – yeah, yeah. Scenario, uh, let's say they get anywhere between two and five. In terms you of draft, their- you draft Tyrese Halliburton. That's our guy. Um, so you draft Halliburton. You have him as a guy who could slot in anywhere between one through three, um, and you can now play. Then that's your that's your backcourt. That's your it's it, when you get into a closing lineup or a death lineup type situation with Steph, Clay, and Halliburton. So you use him. You got your top five pick on Halliburton. Uh, dream scenarios. I think you you you, you maximize the traded player exception. Go get a guy where maybe you trade, like I said, you do some sort of bridge buy where you trade the TPE for a, a, a big salary that a team is trying to get off of. You combine that with another salary, and then you um, figure out – I don't know who the player is. I don't think you can go out and just straight up get Aaron Gordon for that because you'd have to now start including picks. But maybe you do. Maybe you can. Maybe it's not this top five pick, but it's the future pick. Maybe it's Minnesota's pick. 
Um, so let's let's go ahead and just say that for the sake of just being you know concise with this. So you trade a future first round pick um, and salary to go get an Aaron Gordon, okay? Um, who maybe is just like Orlando's like you know what we're all in on Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba. Gordon doesn't fit. So now you've got Aaron Gordon. Uh, yeah. Local I don't guy. love Aaron Gordon. I don't love Aaron Gordon um, as a player. I don't really love his fit for the Warriors. Um, but he's a young player who you might be able to flip in some sort of Giannis trade down the line or something like that, some some superstar trade down the line. So you go get Aaron Gordon. Now you have this, like, large cap slot. you got Tyrese Halliburton. I think both of those guys can contribute right away. And then you get Marcus Saul. You get the coup, like you said, the Marcus Saul coup with the mid-level exception. That, to me, would be their dream offseason. And that, again, it would be it would vault them into the top four, I think, in the West. Awesome. So I, I think – the big takeaway, if you're a Warriors fan listening to this, should be that there is a path to contention, and it is a realistic one. Um, I think that they're going to be able to put together enough enough depth um, to give themselves a chance. But, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what pick they get in the top five, and I think that's going to kind of set up their, their priorities going going from there. Um, Wes, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. As always, great insight. Um, where can our listeners read you and, and listen to you? Read my work at mercurynews.com. Listen to my podcast, Locked on Warriors, of which Connor is a frequent guest. Also, um, follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. I found his insights in the Warriors' offseason outlook insightful, and I hope you did as well. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod. 